1: If you enjoy listening to Chorology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create chorology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep chorology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making chorology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends. This is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Querology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 40.
0: When you choose to like really like step into your queerness and really step into who you are as a person, who God made you to be, it's costly and it's and it's painful, and it, and sometimes it means that you that you lose some of those relationships, you lose some of those people who aren't quite comfortable, who or who really can't you know kind of stand with you in that.
1: Jonah Venegas is a queer Asian Christian, a poet, and a blogger, currently working on his master's degree to be a mental health therapist. He likes to talk and write about the intersections of faith, sexuality, mental health, how to change the world, and whatever anime might currently be occupying his headspace. Uh, He's a fan of a good cup of green jasmine tea, androgynous outfits, and dry humor. Jonah and I are kind of talking about two things that are like separate and yet really interrelated in this episode. Um, the process of coming into ourselves and owning our queer identities and then kind of the process that Jonah went through in that in actually in dyeing his hair and and what that brought him into as far as owning his queerness. And then also kind of the grief and the loss and the hardship that comes with that process and kind of the intersections of, of those things of grief and loss and yet fullness of identity. Um, it's, it's so many good complex things. Um, before we dive into that, uh, for everyone who is going to be in North Carolina this weekend at Y Christian, uh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be hanging out at the Seattle school table, uh, in the exhibit in, I don't think it's a hall. I think it's a tent this year. Um, so if you're there, if you're going to be, if you're at Y Christian this, this year, come say hi, come see me. Uh, I'll be hanging out there. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm man in the table, so (laughs) that's where you can find me. Uh, I would love to meet some of y'all, and and we're just going to have a great time. Um, Okay, so Jonah Venegas, uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Jonah, hi, welcome.
0: Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited for this.
1: Yeah, me too. It's really good to have you. Um, So so to start, a question that I ask everyone, uh, how do you identify, and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity?
0: Yeah. um, Yeah, this is a super interesting question, actually, because I just attended um, an LGBTQ workshop on mental health the other day, and we kind of went through some of these same things. And so I realized how kind of interesting my answer to some of these questions is. Um, And so um, the word that I typically use to describe myself is queer. And again, of course, a lot of people will ask, what does that mean? Which usually for me, I'm okay with that question. Um, But so identify, um, as a gay cis male. Um, and, but then again, like I said, the, the term that I usually use to describe myself is queer, um, and then in terms of just like faith forming that and impacting that, I think, you know, with kind of a lot of the stuff and the theology kind of centering around LGBTQ people and, um, and queerness, I think it just kind of helps me see God and see faith in a more consistent way. Um, you know, kind of how, uh, you know, how we're, we're said that we're going to be a people that is going to be known by love. So I think I've leaned a lot more into that, um, kind of stemming from, you know, just interactions with church and interactions with, um, other people of faith, um, and kind of integrating that with, with queerness.
1: Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> what has that, I mean, what has that journey kind of been like? That kind of movement towards like a theology of they will know us by our love, um, has that been a journey? Has that been a?
0: Oh. It definitely, it definitely has. Um, <laughs> so, you know, for everyone who has known me since I was, you know, in middle school, high school, um, people will know that i <laughs> I was one of those people that was, you know, I would say pretty legalistic. I went to um, a small Christian school from, like, uh, I want to say fourth grade through 10th grade you know like a long time um and so you know it's kind of being in that kind of conservative environment i would say that i i did tend to be like more along that conservative like legalistic kind of side for a long time um and so i think i think it has been a journey because i think that for a long time it was kind of like okay, these are the rules these are the boundaries and limitations of like what christianity is and what we can be um and then kind of, you know, kind of moving into that and coming, coming out, coming into myself, I think there has been a lot of movement in terms of having to kind of reconcile those two things. And then kind of also looking at other matters of, of intersectionality, you know, just like of race and gender and um, sexuality, and like all those different kinds of things and kind of seeing like, okay, if what God is telling us is that, you know, we're going to be a people known by our love and that um, if that's kind of like our you know, our job per se, then I think that that changes the way that we see the world, changes the way that we see our faith, changes the way that we see, the way that we interact with other people. So, yeah, it's definitely been a journey for sure.
1: Yeah. And and, and that kind of, I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about one of your posts that I just read. I mean, it's from like a year ago almost, I think, like, um, but about like you deciding to change your hair color, um, And what that meant for you, kind of in this journey and this step, and I, I wonder if you could maybe tell us kind of that story uh, and what what that meant for you.
0: Um, Simply the act of changing your hair. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Um, Yeah. So, so let's see. Um, This was probably in like uh, like August or September of like 2020. So it's like it's been a while. I've had. Um, I've had the white, the silver hair for a while now. Um, and yeah, it was one of those things, um, and that it didn't feel like it was going to be this radically profound or spiritual thing. Like when I, <laughs> um, you know, like I was just kind of, you know, scrolling through Instagram or scrolling through you know, wherever. Um, and I'd seen a lot of just like the photos and like, you know, it's kind of a trendy thing to have like the white, the silver hair, the gray hair, whatever. Um, and so I, was, I had toyed with the idea for a long time, probably for like the majority of 2017, honestly. Um, I toyed with that idea of doing it. Um, but yeah, but then I finally just, you know, I got the stuff and I just did it one day. Um, And over the next few months, it was kind of just like this crazy experience of, of having, of having dying my hair, kind of being a catalyst for so many things. Um, And so I should back up quick and say that, yes, I did do my own hair. All the hairstylists, all the hairdressers out there will be very like squirming in their (laughs) skin right now about that because yes, everyone, I tell
1: everyone what your, your actual hair color is.
0: Yes. So yeah. So for everyone who doesn't know, doesn't know me. Um, I am Asian and so I have really dark, you know, like black hair basically. And so to kind of get it to that color of, you know, the, the white, the silver, the gray, um, I bleached my hair three times on my own. Wow. (laughs) Um, that
1: wasn't, that wasn't judgmental, but maybe, maybe it was a little bit like, (laughs) that's
0: amazing. (laughs) Well, no, and I think, you know, I think that um, th- there are parts to the judgment that are probably warranted. I will I will go on the record and say that um, after the first time, like, doing this whole process all the way through, um, I, like, don't want to spend too much it because this part is the irrelevant part, well, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, after the three bleachings, I did this all in one day, I had, like, real... Chemical burns
1: on my scalp. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> like that is a thing that happened because you know I am I am a really impatient human being. ask like, I want this to happen now. Um. So anyway, three rounds of bleach, and then you like do like a toner to kind of like cancel the yellowness, like in the blonde, and kind of get into that silver color. I literally had to like put Vaseline on my head and like rest my head for like a day or two before I could like do the toner Cause I, I mix it up and like put it on. Um, and literally I thought I was going to pass out from like how much it was like stinging. And I was like, all right, Nope, Nope. Like I'm going to get cancer or something. This is very <laughs> bad. <laughs> so to everyone out there who is like contemplating on doing your own hair, I, you know, I thought it was worth it. Um I probably could have done it a little smarter. But, you know, it turned out pretty okay. So that is the process. It was like it was quite a radical change from like my from my dark hair that I've had for forever. Um but yeah, so all that aside, <clears throat> all that aside, I yeah, it was kind of this crazy experience of over the next um over the next several months kind of getting this place of of going well getting to this place and going through these cycles of kind of like at first loving it myself but then kind of like having this terrifying of like oh wait like I have to go in in public now with this too like I'm gonna live with this for a while um and you know so you know I look in my bathroom mirror and I really liked it but you know then I also um you know I had work on Monday I had class on Tuesday and like there, there was a twinge, probably more than her. There was, pro- there was definitely this sensation of like, okay, like what are people going to think? Um, how are people going to react? What are they going to say about the fact that my hair is like white, gray, whatever? Um, and kind of like moving, moving through that, and then kind of getting to a place honestly where like the the white, the silver hair kind of became a part of me, and like. And so I have it right now and I'm kind of growing it out just because my hair is like really fried again, consequences of doing it yourself. Um, but yeah, it like, it became, it became this way of kind of telling myself, you know, I'm doing this for myself. Like I'm not doing, I'm not doing the white hair to impress anyone. I'm not doing the white hair to, um, you know, necessarily make a statement. It was just kind of something that I had wanted to do over the summer and finally did. <clears throat> um and so kind of through that process, um, you know, there's a lot of upkeep in in keeping your hair silver, white, you know, a really light color like that. Um, and it's actually like kind of through this process that I, I don't know, I had a lot of like personal and like spiritual growth that occurred through this, which is super weird. Um, at least, you know, at least to me, like talking about in retrospect, it, it felt really meaningful in the moment. And now I'm just kind of like, yeah, I learned all these like crazy personal spiritual things from like dyeing my hair. Um, But yeah, so there's a lot of upkeep that goes into it. So like, you know, I have like purple shampoo, purple conditioner, like all these like different things you kind of do to keep it not brassy. Um, And it's kind of one of those things too, where I, you know, I would be, you know, upkeeping and doing all this stuff and people around me. So if I'd go to class, I'd go to work, I'd go, you know, wherever would you know, say nice things about my hair, you know, that it's like a hard color to do, like all the kind of stuff. And, you know, I, like I would be realistically and sincerely very like appreciative of that. Um, and at the same time, I kind of go home and kind of be like, well, right, but the color is not quite what I want it to be. And I think that was kind of a drastic shift of even in myself, I know from the past couple of years that, you know, my hair has been a couple of different colors over the years, but I think that I tended to more look at it and value it based on what other people thought rather than what I thought of it. And so it was kind of this small and subtle, but like really impactful shift of kind of going from that kind of place of kind of being like, okay, well, I wonder what people are going to say. I wonder how people are going to react. I wonder if people will like it. Um, And even coming that from the first, the first couple days I got out with it um, to this point then of, you know, people are still saying nice things about it. People are still liking it, but kind of, again, being reminded that like I did this, for me, um, and kind of like in the okay being like, well, right, like you know, people think it looks fine and everything, but I still know that like I kind of wanted to like a little tweak here a little tweak, and it wasn't like an anxious thing or anything like that, but it was just kind of one of those things where, like like this is this is where I'm going with it, like this is where I kind of the shade that I want it to be, um yeah, and that kind of just kind of and I think that process too just kind of radically changed the way that I saw myself, changed the way that I kind of approached how other people thought of me, and you know. Again, if you if you've known me for a really long time, like friends from middle school, friends from high school will tell you that um that me very much like struggling with what other people think about me and struggling with those perceptions of others is like a big thing. So it was kind of one of those epiphanies that I had, or revelations that I had, um, you know, somewhere over these months where it's like like wow, like I never realized that like dyeing my hair and having to go through this upkeep process and everything would so dramatically impact the way that I saw myself.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like an experience of like letting go of what people think. And like, I, I just think about like how often and how daily it is. I mean, for me to sit in those places of like, Wondering how what I do is going to impact everyone else. and wondering what they're going to think of it. Like,
0: right, right,
1: yeah. So that's, I mean, that's so cool that <laughs> that you're able to kind of move into yourself. Simply, th- it, it sounds like a very embodied kind of experience. Yes,
0: yes. No, it definitely, it definitely has been, and I, and I really, I'm glad that you use that term embodied because, you know, I. <laughs> Again, kind of like going back to my roots, like in in like a super conservative kind of like Southern Baptist-based like high school and church and like all those kind of things. I think that I always, (laughs) I always kind of like felt weird or felt iffy about about terms like that, but like embodied or you know, kind of like things that um, or ideas or theologies that made like our real lives and our physical bodies important and a part of that personal and spiritual formation. Um, And you know. Um, I was, I promise this tangent makes sense. (laughs) I was, in college, I was a TA for this class called Christianity and Western Culture. Um, So if anyone's listening to this, shout out to my CWC fam. I love you guys. Best, one of my best parts of college. But um, through that, we kind of learned a lot about the history of the church and kind of going through all these different um, theologies and different things, like, you know, first century, second century, kind of going all the way through the history of all that kind of stuff. Um, And what that makes me think of, honestly, is kind of that this idea um, of like platonic dualism or like Gnosticism, like all those kinds of things that say like the physical is bad, the spiritual is good. Um, And I think so much about how even today, you know, Christianity, we wouldn't necessarily say that we've been influenced by Plato or by like the Gnostic sect, you know, or anything like that. But so much of it is there. Um, and I and so anyway, so I'm really glad that you use that word embody, because I think I've been leaning so much more into that of you know, our bodies are important. Um, our bodies are just as important as, you know, our spirits and our minds. And I think, yeah, I think this is definitely one of those ways that has kind of taught me that in this really weird kind of roundabout way of dyeing my hair and realizing that yes, our physical bodies and the way that we see ourselves and the way that we look do have an impact on the way that our lives you know, go and, and have an impact on the way that we see ourselves, and how other people around us see us too. So I love, I love that term. I love that term. It's one of my new, like favorite kind of spiritual leanings to be into is like, no, like this, you know, we are here as humans. We are, this is an embodied experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like there's a, there's a theologian that I love named Rowan Williams, uh former Archbishop of Canterbury and he, and he writes in one of his books, only the body can save the soul. Um, saying like we we live in our bodies on this earth and everything that happens to us on this earth takes place within a body. And mm. like, we have to acknowledge that because it's, it's our embodied presence in the world that allows the spiritual to happen. Um, we're not spiritual without our bodies right now, at least in this world. Um, and oh, I love theolo- that. Yeah, And I mean, there are many theologians that say we will always have our bodies. Like we, they will remain. Um, but currently we are, we are bodied people. Like, <laughs> <and> <laughs> I, I love it. It's one of my favorite things to talk about too. But, um, yeah. So I, I'm curious, like this is, this is a little bit of a shift. Um, but Another I'm down one, for it. Okay. <laughs> Another one of your blog posts, a uh, more recent one. Um, you, you kind of talk about n- noticing seasons and cycles and kind of movements of life. Um, especially yeah. in regards to queerness and coming out and relationality. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. um, Definitely, yeah. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, and I think too. You know, um, I'm in I'm in a master's of marriage and family therapy program right now, and so we are constantly being forced to analyze our own experiences and think about our own, you know, stuff that we bring into the room and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think I've just been so much more in tune, you know, as a result of that recently with just kind of like where where are my feelings are going, where my emotions are going, where my thoughts are going, um, you know, and you know, again, as we're in March now and spring is finally starting to roll around, I think I've been so aware of the passage of the seasons. Um, and maybe even more so just because of this entire like past year in general, of you know, again, I think I, I did my hair dyeing thing kind of over the summer and we kind of moved into fall. Um fall was a fall was a crazy time. Um, and then winter and um, and you know, just kind of I think I did a lot of deconstruction a lot of different things in winter, and then kind of coming back into spring, I think I've been really in touch and in tune with this idea of of the cycles of life and so yeah, and so and at least in yeah at least in terms of in terms of queerness, I think it's been really fascinating because i th- i would i honestly would say, um, and I've been out for um I mean, I guess it's really complicated because I, <laughs> I say, I'll be, I'll say I, I've been, I've been out for about six years in some capacity. Um, but then, you know, I, I wasn't like out, out at like school and you, and college, everything until maybe about four years ago. And I only came out to my family probably three years ago. So was, like, all these like different, um, all these different shifts and kind of, you know, Uh, spiraling back to like a lot of the same things. If you think of like a spiral kind of going around one point, you kind of come back to the same things a lot. Um, And so anyway, you know, six years, four years, three years, whatever whatever the number is that we're going to use. I've been out for a while. And so um, just kind of seeing how how things have changed, both, I guess, in terms of the overall general opinion and perception of like the world around us, but then also just kind of like in my own, Life and I guess you know that's kind of what more I was writing about was, um, yeah, is that it's hard a lot of the time, um, and I think and I think that as queer people and I think as queer Christians we talk about that a lot more around very specific events, and I'm kind of thinking about you know specific like coming out events or um, or even you know around holidays sometimes because that can be hard to go home if your family's unaffirming or around weddings and engagement because you know obviously that's like it's it's something that we have to look at and say like okay well are people going to think that we're allowed to have the same thing like all those kinds of things um but I think that something that we don't talk about as much is kind of those in-between seasons you know if you kind of think about the year like you can you can pick your coming out as kind of one date you can kind of and then you have your holidays weddings like all those different things as other dates and I think we don't talk about those in-between Time bunch much kind of like the downtime, I guess you could say, of of the daily life and the things that are happening. Um, and so, and so, I guess specifically what I talked about in that one blog post that you had mentioned is um, it's just kind of the the idea that we we talk about how th- how hard things are, those individual points, but we don't talk as much about kind of you know the quiet parts, the parts that don't get. Um, blog posts, necessarily the parts that don't get Instagram posts, the parts that don't like get Facebook posts necessarily. Um, and I think that a lot of that is because we as queer people, queer people still kind of don't feel like we're allowed to talk about those things. We're, like, we're allowed to have those emotions and like we're allowed to be in places of grief. <clears throat> you know, um, and so one specific thing that I talked about in that blog post is that um, as I've kind of thought about my own personal history and as I kind of thought about like the different um, churches and schools and even just like relationships that I've been in, um, you know, both like platonic and otherwise, um, I've been struck recently by how much movement and how much loss there is that we might not necessarily give ourselves a space or permission to think about or feel a lot of the time. Um, And so I talked about two specific things there. And one was just, as I think about high school again, um, you know, I went to this really small conservative Christian school for, for high, for middle school, high school, I think even a little bit of elementary school. And, you know, to this day, I, you know, now I'm graduating from college. I'm doing my master's program and all that kind of stuff. And I regularly talk to one person from high school um and I know that like I, I know that people don't talk to a lot of people from high school anymore you just kind of like that happens a lot of the time you make your really really good friends in college or you know or whatnot but um but as I thought about that I was kind of shocked and surprised and honestly kind of sad and also a little bit of angry I think too because you know I so just to give you a frame of how small my school was It was a K-12 school and (laughs) there were 80 students in the entire school. So like in the high school, there were probably like 20, 25 of us. Um, So it was pretty small. And so, you know, you know, everyone, you kind of know what's going on with everyone. Um, And I was at this school for, you know, six, seven years. We grew up with these same people. And I would have, you know, I would have considered myself at the time to be, to have been pretty good friends with, with most of them. Um, and, you know, and now, you know, let's say fast forward, you know, seven, eight years later, um, I talk to one of them. Um, and, and it's hard to, because, you know, I, I live in Minnesota. I'm, I'm up in the twin cities and she lives down in Rochester. She's teaching down there. She did her master's down there. Um, and so, and so I won't use her name cause I didn't ask permission, but, but if you're listening to this podcast, she'll know who she is. Um, and so, and you no, know, we still talk pretty regularly, but the rest of them, we, we don't. And I know that some of them I would, I would still love to be friends with, I would still um, like to be in a relationship with. But I think that there's just, there's so much complexity that goes into that. And I think that at least for me, one of the things that I think about is I wonder how my queerness has like impacted those relationships, you know, and not to necessarily put that like on myself of being like, oh, like this is, you know, like the queerness is what like destroyed her like, you know, not even to the blame either necessarily, but just to kind of think about what that does to relationships and what, and, you know, kind of that impact that that has of, because, you know, that's something that as queer people, we're always carrying that with us. Um, It's not something you can, that we can necessarily put away or, you know, we can, we can try to, but um, it's not something that we can kind of isolate away from the rest of ourselves. And I, yeah, I just think about how, you know, I consider those to be losses and, you know, again, not necessarily to, to blame those people or to blame myself or to blame anyone really. But just to think about like those losses of these people that I no longer, um, am in relationship with. And I can, I can say the same for, you know, other, other friends in college, other friends in other areas of my life as well, church, whatever. Um, but yeah, just kind of thinking about that and how, you know, as we move through our lives and ha- as queer people, as we kind of come out and come into our own, and start to really figure out who we are and decide where we stand on theology, where we stand on different, like, queer issues. I think that definitely does create a lot of movement in our interpersonal relationships. And, you know, I think I've just been thinking a lot about how it causes a lot of loss as well. And that's okay to feel that. And it's okay to miss those people. And it's also at the same time, okay, to be okay with the fact that we're not in a relationship with them anymore, right. you know, for our own health. Right
1: yeah i think i mean there is a complexity there to it of like sometimes those relationships do fade because they need to fade because they're not necessarily healthy relationships to be in anymore Mm -hmm. absolutely like regardless of whether that's happening or not like that element of loss that just comes with lost relationships that i think that is something that we don't talk about enough like And it's something that I think so many queer people have experienced in such very real ways of, of loss and sometimes loss that, that is heartbreaking. Um, And, and we don't, we don't really talk about it. Like, yeah. (laughs) and, And I think, I mean, I like I mean, this, this makes me think of a, a conversation that I had with Trey Pearson. Um, I don't know how many episodes oh, ago that was. Yeah, but I mean, this, he talks about that on his on his new record, on his new album, and about the loss of like what it was like to even though step into his new identity as a gay man, but also realizing like losing his wife and mm-hmm. and and that and the grieving process that goes on in even as we're stepping into new identity and the fullness of who we are, who God created us to be. There's still a lot of grieving that has to happen. Um, and I think it for a lot of us, it makes us think like, I, I can't show people that I'm sad because I'm supposed to be happy. Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, or even that. and And also just this sense that I think so many people um who who come from maybe less affirming camps or from people who are are still wrestling more with that idea i think too there is some there is some sensation or feeling that a lot of time that maybe they might not necessarily be trying to give off but i think that as group we kind of take it in this sense of feeling like oh well i mean this is just what comes with the territory like this is this is the natural consequence of coming out and like doing, you know. And so I think we kind of get a little bit of that too. And I think I know that I definitely felt some of that uh, in just in just this sense of like, okay, well, yeah, like of course, like if you're gonna embrace like again <laughs> your gay lifestyle or like you know what you know all, any of those things, like they just say that like, well, that's what's gonna happen because and and it, and I think it's hard to with 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 faith communities and things like that that you know and I. <laughs> I try really hard to come at these things from this perspective. Like, you know, they're trying their best there. I don't, you know, I, tr- I try to come at a lot of things from that perspective. It's hard a lot of the days, but you know, when they just kind of come at it from this, from this perspective of, of, you know, well, that's your cross to bear then, or like, this is, this is what happens. Um, and I think, and I think that also kind of comes into that same idea of, of then us not really being allowed to grieve those things or not really being allowed to feel sad about it or feel the loss or, you know, experience those negative emotions because there are so many people out there telling us like, oh, well, this is like kind of your fault.
1: Mm-hmm. This making me like just think of shame and like we trade, I think, one kind of sense of shame of like being in the closet and worrying about our own identities for another shame of like then coming out and then realizing, well, it's all my fault that all these people have left me. Right, And it is, maybe not, maybe it's not a different kind of shape. Maybe it's all the same kind of root. but that, that fear of like, if I'm truly myself, then no one will want to be around me. And then when we come mm-hmm. out and people start validating that, like, and then be like, this is like we cross to bear. Like, no, it's not like, that's not <laughs> the way, like this, we know very well, this is not the way things are supposed to be.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it's just, it's just so hard for us to allow ourselves to grieve. Um, when those things come and, um, you know, one other thing that I wrote about in there was over the last year or so, I, th- I feel like I've really come into my own, queerness. I think for a long time in college and even like the couple years after, I think that I still very much w- was in this place of kind of being like, okay, yes, I'm queer. Yes. Like all these things, but also in kind of like trying to toe the line or trying to, you know be in this in between place where, okay, yes, I'm queer and that's fine, but also I'm gonna try to, I guess, fit in with like the rest of the world, you know? And I will say that that, that that's a hard place to be because, you know, you kind of have one foot in two worlds and you're not really you're not really being your real self either way. And again, that's not to say that like you have to pick one or the other, but I think I was trying to um I was trying to please two different worlds. I was I was trying to be two different versions of myself depending on what setting I was, and that's what I that's why I want to say like I was trying to be d- different people depending who I was with. I think over the last year or so, I think I've really started to be able to integrate those two different one well, two different or all the different parts of myself. Um, and I've even you know I even wrote a little bit about how, how that integration itself kind of creates more loss and creates another cycle that we kind of go through of, you know, cause I mean, obviously there's this, po- there's this point where it kind of feels like there's a dramatic shift when you come out and when, you know, this is kind of like new information to like so many people or, you know, maybe it's not new information. I tend to think of myself as not being super straight passing. So I'm always kind of surprised when people are surprised, but you know, that's just me. <laughs> um, that's just me. Um, But, you know, kind of as you go along, as you go along that journey, you kind of get to these different points of like, of like integrating this or integrating that or integrating that. As I've kind of like integrated, you know, the queer parts of myself into the rest of myself and kind of start holding all of that at the same time, wherever I go, it has, it has definitely created more loss as well. And I know that even like some friends that I hung out with in college, even some friends that... Um, I still talked a little bit from high school or whatever a few years ago, you know, we're not, we're not really close anymore and we're not really in relationship anymore. Um, Again, not really, not necessarily being like a choice between this or that, or, you know, these people or those people, but just kind of like in, in your individual relationships, kind of seeing how, you know, when you choose to embrace, embrace that instead of, you know, trying to hide it or trying to repress it or trying to, Um, pretend it's not there. When you choose to like really like step into your queerness and really step into who you are as a person, who God made you to be, it's costly and it's, um, and it's painful and it's hard. And and sometimes, and sometimes it means that you, that you lose some of those relationships, you lose some of those people, um, who, who aren't quite comfortable, who, or who really can't maybe at the time or maybe ever, um, you know kind of stand with you in that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that I mean that's such a real a real thing as we own more of who we are and step more fully into that like other people will respond to that in ways that uh, we can't control. <laughs> like and Right. And <laughs> it, will, it will it will affect them in ways that we have no control over and uh, sometimes that means they go away and it's mm-hmm. so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I'm, I'm curious. So like season cycles, maybe to wrap up, like you, you kind of start that post around, like talking about growth though, and stepping into kind of like how, like, like these cycles of grief lead us and push us into, I mean, there's, there's a whole nother side of that cycle, um, and, and I don't want to be to like, I don't want to be like, let's jump to hope because I don't think like <laughs> j- jumping to hope is really ever a good, it, it's, it's such a glib thing. And yet like there is right. still a whole nother side of that cycle that is growth and, and hope and, and goodness. And, and so I'd be curious about maybe where are you seeing some of those things in your lives as, as you have been in in this, in this cycle?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess kind of going back to that, to that metaphor of like of the seasons and the cycles, um, I kind of think of, and I really hope I get this right. I think of like perennial plants and, you know, just kind of, again, like the, the, the cycles of how, you know, there are these plants that, you know, spring, summer, they are alive and blossoming and blooming and thriving. Um, you know, but kind of as fall and winter come around, um, you know, they they start to wither and dry up and die, and they kind of lie dormant for that period in the winter, and then um, and then come back and then kind of spring back up again in the spring. Um, and I kind of that's kind of how I think how I'm seeing a lot more of these cycles, at least for me, of of kind of that perpetual cycle of of renewal and rebirth and new life and blooming and thriving, and then kind of also going back through these points of um, of harder times when you know things start to get colder things start to get darker and things start to die um and maybe even lie dormant for a while and I think and I think that's something too that I've been learning over the last few months and even years is that um that winter season I think was one that I always forgot existed I think I was I think I always was going straight from you know springing up and blooming and thriving to dying to going right back to it again um and I think and I think the winter that we're kind of, I mean, just in, you know, in general in the United States kind of coming out of now, um, is that kind of dormant part, kind of the dead part, the cold part, the frozen over part that I think that I have forgotten a lot um, over the last um, months and years. But how there, a lot of the time there is this period of, you know, like in winter, it's like three, four in Minnesota, probably like, I don't know, six months um, of of deadness and kind of frozenness as kind of like, as kind of things are kind of just laying dormant there kind of laying there and waiting for that next season. Um, and, and I will say that I think, I think that at least in, in terms of life, I think, um, even the last year or six months has kind of been, has kind of been that winter for me. Um, and so I know that like, uh, my, my, I have a word of the year every year. Um, and so in 2017, my, my word of the year was abide. Um, and so I kind of, I kind of consider all of 2017, to kind of be like one of those dead winter places where things are kind of just lying and waiting. Things are kind of sleeping and it kind of sucks, you know, in real life. It sucks and it's hard because you're waiting for the next thing to come and you're waiting for what's supposed to happen after, after everything has died, you know, and you're kind of waiting for the, for the rebirth and the renewal and it's not there yet. and so that's kind of what my 2017 was. And it was a hard time, but I think I grew a lot through that, which kind of brings me back into 2018, um, where my word of the year is pursue. And at first, I didn't really know what that meant or what that was going to mean. Um, it's it's one of my things where, um, where again, I kind of have to bow to integrate, like, my queerness and spirituality and like all those different things, because it is one of those things that I will pray about for like the entire month of December kind of feeling, feeling like, you know, what is my next year going to look like? What is, what is the word that's going to define this next year? And I think at the time, you know, even just like several months ago when I was thinking about that and kind of this, and you know, was kind of given this word of pursuit, I wasn't really sure what that was going to mean. And kind of even now as I'm talking with you, I kind of am realizing too that it's coming back into that, into that spring season of the cycle of kind of pursuing, pursuing new growth and pursuing, um, renewal from all of the things that have kind of died and kind of been waiting to come back up. And so right now, um, I think I'm seeing a lot of, in a lot of small different ways. Um, I mean, there's no, I don't really think there's anything super gigantic or anything really crazy that's been happening recently, but, um, just kind of in little ways of, of, of a, you know, not really being ashamed of the queerness anymore um i think for a really long time you know even having been out for you know six years to certain people for a long time i think that there was still a part of me that um again in certain situations like didn't want to reference the fact that i was queer or kind of like pretended that i wasn't or um you know or even just like on a a lower level just um not really being super outspoken or not really being too like too gay (laughs) i guess you could say um Another one is I mean it's kind of a tangent from that, but just but also or um peripheral to that, but just kind of being more outspoken and not really worrying too much about what about what people think. Um, you know, and I think that goes in a lot of different ways of whether it's whether whether it's theology, whether it's um um whether it's just like personal opinions, whether it's like you you know, even like some political stuff, you know, like without those kinds of things too, I think I think I've gotten to a point with kind of like the integration and the growth um, in this spring season of life where I, um, for my third thing, is just kind of, you know, as being self-differentiated enough um, to kind of know that it's okay if I am this person, if I'm the person that I am, um, who, you know, has beliefs that I have or has opinions that I have or has relationships that I have or, you know, is queer, um, and that's okay, and also it's okay that other people have different opinions, different views, different things like that. And just kind of like, and you know, those two things not really having as much interplay or interfacing as they had before and kind of being in a place where, you know, like, even if other people aren't okay with who I am or things I believe, or even if other people aren't okay in general, um, you know, kind of as more of like an em- empathic person, I'm still okay. Um, and I think, I think for me, I think it just kind of, it hasn't been like really gigantic things, but I think it's going to have these underlying like personal spiritual things I think have changed the most. I've been seeing the most growth in over, mm-hmm. you know, coming into this, coming into this spring.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I love
0: that. And, and that, that
1: <laughs> stepping into like differentiation and like, I am still okay, regardless of what's going on around me. Not like that's different than like not being impacted by it, but like still being able to right. hold that sense of self like that. I mean, it's so important it's such hard work to step into. And yet, so needed and meaningful and yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I want for like, for all, for all the queer people out there, just like, you know, you are okay who you are and where you're at on your journey, on your path. And, um, you know, I think especially like in terms of things that I've learned this this over the last season of my life is that, um, and I think especially that you're affirming, this is just something like, you don't need to be in a relationship to prove that like to prove that it's okay to be affirming. I think that's something that I struggled with a lot over this last year. So I just wanted to say that is that like, yeah, that I've learned that, you know, I don't have to be in a relationship. I don't have to make a relationship work right now to prove to other people that, that it's okay to be affirming. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> like, <laughs> amen. Uh, Jonah, thank you so very much.
0: Yeah, Um, thank you for having me on here. This was so, this was so fun. And I think fun is kind of a weird word because, you know, we talked about a lot of hard things. But um, thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun, too. Likewise,
1: yeah, me too. And yeah, thank you. How can people find your blog?
0: Yes, so yeah, so my blog and all my different things. um, So my blog itself is um, um, www.jona-ven.com. And so... um, Maybe I'll just spell it just because I'm, I'm that kind of person. So mm. wwwjonah vencom is my blog. Um, and then I also try as hard as I can to um, make sure that I get that out on different platforms of social media as well. So usually mm. if you follow me on Twitter, at um, Jonah underscore Ven, same spelling, um, or Instagram, at Jonah Ven. Um, and then I think I have a, I have a Facebook page, too. Um, that I put stuff on to. So just my, just, it's just my full name, Jonah Venegas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you do too. You know, hopefully we'll, we'll recover from, you know, the daylight savings time, little kick that we got. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You can find Jonah's work over at his website, jonah-ven.com. He's on Twitter, at Jonah underscore Ven, and on Instagram, at Jonah dot Ven. Uh, He's also on Facebook, like you mentioned, Jonah Venegas. Chorology uh, is on Twitter and Instagram, at Quirology Pod, where you can tweet me directly, at Matthias Roberts. Chorology is produced with support from Natalie England, Tim Schrader, Christian Hayes, and a bunch of other Patreon supporters. I'm so grateful. Uh, to find out how you can help support Chorology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to help out Chorology is by leaving a rating or a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head over to MatthiasRoberts.com review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. Until next week, y'all, bye!